0: welcome to Why Make, where we talk with makers from different disciplines about what inspires them to make. With your hosts, Rob Helmkamp and
1: Eric Wolken. If you'd like to learn more about the makers we interview on Why Make, please go to our website, why And please help support the Why Make
0: podcast and Why Make Productions by making a tax-deductible donation to us on Fractured Atlas.
1: Fractured Atlas is our new nonprofit fiscal sponsor which allows us to access a wide range of funding possibilities, including funding available only for nonprofits. Visit fundraising.fracturedatlas.org
0: forward slash the-y-make-project or go to the Donate to YMake page on y-make.com. This is our final episode
1: for 2023 our fifth season of the Why Make podcast. Through these almost 60 episodes, we have enjoyed talking with artists of all stripes, from woodworkers to jewelry makers to authors, about what makes them tick and what inspires them. We hope you have enjoyed listening as much as we have loved making this podcast. To listen or re-listen to the entire archive of episodes, please take a trip over to the website, why-make.com. And we're excited about what lies ahead in 2024 we are going to change the formula a little and sharpen the focus of the podcast and produce more video content we are also going to see rob step more into the background i have had a lot of fun over the last five years and instead of making
0: a sophisticated attempt to do a double backward somersault through a fiery hoop and exit stage left i'm going to take a step into the background of why make and buckle into an editing and production role. Read, comma, police, with the intention of spending more time in my studio working on a new series of meditation chairs, some furniture,
1: and a little bit of commission woodworking. As YMake has evolved over the past five years, I have become more and more fascinated with the process of creativity, and I have been trying to find a way to help me and you, our listeners, get deeper into just how the process works for a wide range of artists. This has led me to devote the next season of the Why Make podcast to a project I am calling Mind of a Maker. In Mind of a Maker, we join artists in their studios to look at very specific pieces of work or a series of pieces and try to understand what went into choosing an idea, how that idea evolved into a work or a final product of some kind, and finally, how that idea impacted the artist personally and their work moving forward. And because we want to be able to visualize as well as hear about the creative process, we will also be accompanying each episode with a short video that will be available on the Why Make YouTube channel.
0: I'm really excited to see how you bring the sixth season of Why Make to life, Eric. I will definitely
1: be listening and watching and producing and editing. Thanks, Rob. And I hope all of you will join us for the next season of the Why Make podcast as we explore the mind of a maker. And please help the YMake Project make this new chapter possible with your tax-deductible gift by going to the Donate page on our website, y-make.com.
0: On episode 57 of YMake, we talk with Brad Reed Nelson, a Glenwood Springs, Colorado woodworker, furniture maker, and product designer creating magical pieces made from metal and wood. Brad, a.k.a. BRN, and his better half, Anne, run Board by Design, a functional design company making such brightly colored amazingness as Knuckles, The Good Pot, Elefunction, Blocky, Bling Pong Tables, and the Steadfast Winsorondack Chair.
1: We talk with Brad about his years in school and learning about life and making with the likes of Wendell Castle, Gary Knox Bennett, Paul Sasso, Sam Maloof, and Gail Friedel. Brad also reminds us about the
0: importance and necessity of community, collaboration, listening and communication, fostering relationships, and being vulnerable, and how these all pile up to create
1: the mountain from which every single person is made. So join us as we lean in and get all twisted up in Brad Reed Nelson's humble sense of humor and wicked sense of design. And we would like to welcome Brad Reed Nelson. And is it required that we go with all three? Can you be Brad Nelson <laughs> or Nelson well, Reed? Welcome or- to YMake, Brad.
2: <laughs> Reed. Uh Nelson. B R N. B-R-N. B-R-N. Or Brad. Or right. whatever, whatever makes you happy. Right. Nice to see you both. B R
1: N, welcome to the YMake podcast.
2: You. <laughs> I'm very glad to be here. You guys do a great job.
0: And this is kind of radio land, but the podcast listeners can't see it. But Brad is wearing Why Make Swag. He's got
1: the shirt on. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: Pretty stoked. Yeah. I got the hookup. You got the hookup. And and I'll say that... uh, That's such a high quality sticker on the front. It's so stiff. It'll help you stand up if you're having a bad day.
2: (laughs) It can also help me drop five pounds when I sweat. So that's good too. (laughs) So Brad, we start off, we start off every episode, episode,
0: we ask the why make question. So what was your first experience or memory of making
2: something? So that's fun and easy. I always remember this one. We lived in Hickory, North Carolina. And back in 1976, they made furniture in Hickory, North Carolina. <laughs> and, uh, and Robin, you know what I mean? Eric, you probably know what I mean. Yes. Um, did. but my father would go to the factories and, and get all this kindling wood, but the kindling wood was all this ornate trim from kind of more colonial style furniture, things like that from Broyhill or Kincaid or one of the factories. And come home with these little blocks, four, six, eight inches, with all this little detail. And then I had this dream of having this carriage for my bike that looked like I had seen this carriage on the back of a like a Harley with a chopper, where it had like a it almost looked funeral related, but it was very ornate. And I dreamed of making this, this object. So what I would do is I'd lay it out in in rows and kind of try to complete a composition. And then I would glue it onto cardboard, because I didn't know how to create joinery between those pieces, and the domino machine hadn't come out yet. It would have been handy. I would then cut it cut it off the cardboard and, and have these kind of frames that I was imagining that I was gonna create a box out of, and then this chariot and you know the seating area inside. But I'd play with this stuff constantly.
1: And, uh, and where did it go from there? Did you come from a family with a, an arts background?
2: So my dad had a shop teaching degree first, and then he went back and got an electrical engineering degree. And when we were living, all of my life, he worked for General Electric, and we moved every two to three years. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And so we were in Hickory for two and a half years. So we were always moving and doing something in the new house. So a downstairs bar that he had all this wormy chestnut someone given him. And I'd always be helping him. And I like the making part. But my dad was not a very um, patient person, and so uh, if you couldn't go upstairs and find that tool within a short period of time, it wasn't always fun helping him make stuff. But um, I did help him a lot, and I did find a love for woodworking. And you know, he had a assortment of radial arm saws and other tools that we could get the job done with. And um, and then thinking about, I listened to your Kim interview today. Mm -hmm. I had to go, I had to go up to Aspen and I thought I'd, on the drive back down, I was listening to that and baking, Uh, always baked with my mom and always loved being in there and just getting your hands into stuff. And, you know, I, a lot of times I baked from a box, but as a kid, that sure seems like baking. Yeah. Um, and then drawing, I was a, a constant drawer. I drew motorcycles and cars and I still have a thing for cars and motorcycles and other design. I love product design. And I love the way things go together. And I've had friends say that they love fine art, but they don't love automobile design. And I I can convince them within (laughs) about 10 minutes why they do love it. I'm like, have you ever looked inside of a Bentley and seen how beautiful and opulent and how well designed? I said, it's like that trickle down thing that happens in design where you know the very highest level, and then it, it eventually permeates all of car design. It's like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, uh devil wears prada i have not watched it with my daughter years ago but there's a scene where she asks her what color blue she's wearing and she says i don't know it's blue and she said well that was a blue that you know that chanel used 10 years ago or 6 years ago and it's taken this long for target now to have it and it it's you know everything informs everything
1: right so did you think that you are going to be a maker growing up did you did you have an aha moment where you realized this was going to be a career a passion
2: i had an aha life because the only i'm just i'm dyslexic and the only class that i ever excelled in and that i ever got along with the teacher was the art teacher always and so in uh, kansas city uh, the art teacher and i got along you know so well and for the yearbook my one of my drawings ended up on the back of the yearbook Oh, in wow. third grade, and she didn't tell me, <laughs> and not not completely understanding editing at that time, she didn't use the whole drawing. She used about two thirds, but the way she used it, it didn't immediately. I didn't immediately recognize it. And she said, "Well, look at it for a minute," and then I was like, "Huh, that seems really familiar." And she goes, "Yeah, that's your drawing." So the only time I was ever at peace, honestly, was was generally in an art class. You st- you strug-
0: struggled through everything else.
2: I yeah, I was a pretty bad student and in sixth grade, they finally diagnosed that I had dyslexia and, um, it was just not, you know, I'm 55. So it took a while to, um, education was not catching up to that at that time. But my mom, of all the things, and one of the reasons I use my middle name would be because my mom fought for me educationally, always made sure that my teachers knew I was trying. She's like, no matter what you say, he's not, but I see him at home. I know he's trying. And so she was definitely a great advocate for me, you know, really fortunate in that way. So, uh, yeah, so art was always the, the, that was the epiphany. And then I liked 3d art, but it was always clay and we did a lot of the schools I went to, we did get to play with clay, but, That was my three D stuff and I still have this one head I did that I really like. I'm always curious if the teacher did the lips. The lips are really good. And you know how sometimes the teacher would lean in. I'm like, huh, I wonder if they did that or I did that. No recollection. You bend this and move that and oh there you go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and pinch and pinch that. But then, you know, vocational things were still happening in school. So then when we were up in Andover, Massachusetts, there was a metals, um, not a small metals, but an industrial metals class. And you learned how to bend stuff and cold fasten things. And I made a really ugly uh, candle holder that was a kind of an S bent out of some one inch by quarter inch put on a bender. Then you made these two flower petal like objects. Then you made two little uh cups that held the candle and you riveted through it. I thought that was, just, you know, coolest thing in the world. And then there was a shop class and, I don't know if I ever turned something to completion, but I did jam a tool into a spinning piece of wood, which still call it wood jamming until t- today. Um, you guys want to do some wood jamming?
1: Um, I, I think the next thing that comes after that is wood flying, usually. So you were about 16, 17, 18?
2: That was in junior high. Junior high was the wood, the, ju- junior high was the wood shop and the metal shop. And that oh, was okay. Both, so that was younger. That was both. So that was both up at, in Andover, Massachusetts. Then um, we moved to North Carolina, to Charlotte. So back to North Carolina. and I know
0: about the moving thing. I was a Navy brat, so I had every you are. every three years yeah. we were gone. So. I always
2: said GE was the other military because people always said, the military? And I'd say the other military. And then so, – So Charlotte for a while? And- yeah, Charlotte, South mm-hmm. Mecklenburg. Um, the art teacher there was great, Mrs. Prose. And she had boutique and all kinds of things. And the first day I met her, she said, what's your favorite color? And I said, plaid. And she said, oh, we're going to get along just fine. And, uh, you know, where every other teacher was like, you're a smart ass. She was like, ah, you're clever. Great. So art saved my life. Let's be honest.
1: Cool. So at what point uh, do you, it sounds like, do you head off to Sasso land And do you meet Paul Sasso and you do your undergraduate at Moorhead, correct? Fun facts. Here we go. Yes, fun facts. Yes, fill it in. I could have it all wrong. So I worked at
2: a surf shop and I sold cool, you know, the guy that owned the surf shop had a had, like some of the more unique companies that are out there, like Jimmy Z's. I don't know if you remember Jimmy Z's stuff, but it was Jimmy Z? Oh, those Velcro pants.
0: I loved them, man. Yeah, yeah, they
2: were amazing. And I
0: I had I had Vision Streetwear, Jimmy oh, yeah. Z's 17th Street Surf Shop
2: from Ooh, Virginia Beach, oh, yeah. Virginia. Oh, yeah, 17th Street, nice. WRV. So we go to WRV to buy our airwalks, 17th Street. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So then there was uh so what and then Shroff, do you remember Schroff wear? No, I don't. Shroffware was like a little more out of the box. Their fabrics were really cool. Their textiles were cool. So I wanted to be a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. And I awesome. re, And I really loved the idea. And I had this idea for using fast text clips. In you know what Fast Text clips are, of course. Right. Um, but I had this idea for using yeah, yeah. like in, in a Jimmy Z style, but overalls and things, all with fast text clips. And I and I thought, oh man, the world would be ready for this. It'd be, you know, it'd be cool and it'd be um, you know, kind of a modern take on a traditional object and um but i was such a shit student that i couldn't convince myself to go off to fashion design school the good schools would have been in la or new york milan and i was a 2.7 high school student and and there was no i couldn't see a path into an internship or something and where with furniture i could and especially in north carolina at first i just floundered i went to i got kicked out of college a couple times at uh uh, lees McCray College in the mountains of North Carolina. Lead them astray, last chance, lees skis McCray. Um, <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I got kicked out of that school twice. Oh, went twice to Charlotte, a repeat yeah, offender twice. for for nothing. You know, being in the girls' dorm ten minutes after curfew, things like that. Nothing, nothing notable. But um I went back to Charlotte and I was working in a wood shop, waiting tables at night. Not happy. I was in a cabinet shop. Not happy. Um, there was no joy or fun, or no imagination in it. And waiting tables at this really cool restaurant called Cafe Flavors. And Brent Skidmore came in with a couple other of his students, right? Yeah. Brent. And it was this first semester there, and they were, um, yeah, they were singing his praises. And they they said, "Hadn't you want to make furniture?" And I was like, "I have been." And I described everything, and they were like, "Well, get over here." So I started taking classes at, this, at the Central Piedmont Community College. And, um, Brent was, you know, fun and imaginative and he was only a couple years older than me. So as I got him, as he got me into making furniture, I got him into rock climbing and, um, I had a boat, we water skied all the time and we became very good friends. And I was headed off to California College of Arts and Crafts and my sister lived out in San Francisco. She had moved out there to work for a spree and I was going to, um, live with her and take classes at, at. C-C-A-C, back when the word craft wasn't dirty. And the woman running the program, can't remember her name, doesn't matter, never knew her, kind of blew the program up and everybody left. So Hayami Arakawa was there, and this guy Matt Saunders was there, All these, and, and um, Hayami runs MIT's uh, makers space now, Fab Lab, wonderful maker person himself. But um, they all left, and Brent caught wind of it. And said, "I just talked to Paul Sasso, and he's got a kid coming from Santa Cruz to take to get his degree here. He left CCAC. Apparently, it's in shambles. I have to go out for a uh, alumni show this summer. You want to come and see the place?" And I said, "Sure." So in my head, I'm like, "Man, I went from living in San Francisco, excited to leave Charlotte to go to a much bigger city and a much cooler. You know, that's the early '90s. San Francisco is still very cool, and." Now I'm going to go to a dry county in Southern Kentucky. It was having a hard time getting super pumped up about that. And I'm in my, and I'm like 23. So I'm, you know, I'm already an older undergraduate, but I went out for the summer and the show was good. Paul Sasso had a party. All the faculty was there. I smoked marijuana with most of the faculty, not realizing, they're not realizing I was going to be a student of theirs that fall (laughs) and decided, yeah, this is going to be great. Um, so, you know, transferred to Murray State University. Paul was amazing. Um, he's, my, he's my kind of teacher. He, he leans in when he needs to, and he steps away and gives you a lot of space to, to find yourself. And that's where I was in my life. That doesn't work for everybody, but it worked very well for me at the time. Then there was a guy, Steve Bishop, that ran sculpture. He was great. He was a well of information. Everybody was – it was a great program. It was hard to live there, you know, pe- talking to either virgins Telling you how they're saving their, you know, whatever for this perfect moment. Or people telling you about their world experiences because they'd been to Louisville and Memphis. Um, It was hard (laughs) sometimes. In in the same day? In the same day? (laughs) Probably. I mean, if you drove fast, yes. And you, you know, didn't get out of your car. But, you know, Paul was from what he calls the, the... Tijuana of Canada, Windsor, which is right across from Detroit and was very influenced by Detroit Motown music. He had traveled a lot. He was super fun. His wife was super fun. Um, We became good friends because they were looking for people to talk to as much as we were looking for people to talk to. So spent a lot of evenings at their house, baking bread and hanging out with them Um, and got a great education. And, you know, Paul it's just a blast to be around. And he's just, you know, he's irreverent, he's kind, he's, you know, he, he's just a good mentor. And, um, you know, and I, I admire his work so much. And, you know, then I got to know mag I got to know Maggie growing up and see her acting in like seventh grade plays and stuff. So it was a nice time to be there. Like I really know them. And I did not know Sandy had passed away until, um, just this spring, I found out and I was very sad to hear that. So such a cool lady, you know, and I knew a lot of people that knew Sandy from Penland cause she had been up there. So do you remember, uh, Rob, you remember Bradley Walters at Anderson ranch? Um, he, he had hung out with Sandy when, when Sandy was up at Penland. So he had a whole different experience about Sandy Sasso and how great she was. So great maker too.
0: It's so it's so funny to hear different
1: perspectives from different people about the same person. Oh yeah, and of course uh, Maggie was uh, on the podcast two years ago. That's what I thought. And she is a, she is a chip off the old block. She is <laughs> uh, she she is hysterical. Uh, she is hysterical, but incredibly warm and a super mm-hmm. intelligent maker. I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> Uh, as Paul says it, I do believe he talks about the intelligence of the hands and uh, uh obviously hmm. she she inherited that from her dad um, but Paul was it I like that and the you know this is the interesting thing getting back on track. Paul Sasso is a very quirky maker. oh yeah he is a, 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 a how did Paul's quirkiness influence you? Or was he so hands off he just allowed you to develop in the way you wanted to?
2: I think for Paul, I mean, I, for what I love about Paul's work is that it has embodies so much humor and intelligence, but so much craft. You know how sometimes you you know how, you know the woody woodworkers of the world that want to crawl under something see how it's put together, and when you when you start to take apart a part of Paul piece, you're pretty flabbergasted on how well constructed. And how elaborately constructed. And I love that about his work. I also don't love making things like that. I made, I've made things very tight in a way that is slow. And, 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 and I, I needed to know I had that in me. But I also love having, figuring out ways to put things together in a very um, honest and quick way that, is, that has integrity but I think what I, what I, what I really got from Paul was humor. I already had humor in my work a little bit and I had done this table and chair that was called sitting on your uvula and it looked like <laughs> a chair and table with just 50 uvulas on it, you know, oh. <laughs> um, people at home, I just stuck my finger in my mouth. Um, <laughs> he got that, you know, and, and, uh, and then we just connected. So the first assignment was uh, a piece from a book that, you, that you'd always admired, not the book you admired, a piece in a book that you'd always admired that piece. And it was a Disney book I had had since I was a kid. And it was a lot of the watercolor stills before they went to production. And it was Pinocchio and it was the goldfish bowl table. And I had always loved it. And it's a small piece, very ornate. It's got, a, it's got carving in it. It's very big kind of, you know, over, um, God, Kim, Kim, Kimberly Winkle used it today. I can't, I can't say it, but I liked how she described something, but it had, it it was humorous. And when I showed it to Paul and said, this is what I'm going to riff off of, he goes, Oh my God, that's one of my favorite pieces in a book ever. And I think, you know, that was like week one. And I was like, yeah, we're going to get along just fine. Um, I think Paul, um, He just knew how to say, you know, he just knew how to give a word or a meaning or a a nudge at the right time. And he knew when to step back and let me flounder. And, um, you know, but the thing is, Paul and I are really similar is when I was in school, I'd be in my studio at eight and I'd be in my studio at midnight. And um, I just was there all day long. I just have, you know, the fever for making and just... There was a sense that at that time in my life that if I didn't make it, it was gone, and that I just had to like be there, be there, be there, be there. Now I work in my head, like and you know I asked you guys. You, Rob, reached out a while back, and I said I'm not ready because we have been spent four years building this studio and just getting it dialed, and we were financially so over our head, and it just took so much to finally lock it down and be comfortable, and now. I, I, you know, there's been ideas. I, I had a I had a solo show and immediately in in August and immediately broke ground on this sh- the shop in August four year you know four and a half years ago and yeah. um and just had to suppress all these new ideas yeah and so are not suppress or store or forget or lose or whatever sometimes in getting them onto paper. But I want. There was four or five things that have been in my head that I was like, I got to get a few of these out before I talk to you because when you ask me why I make, I better know why I make. <laughs> I'm like, it better be because I'm making stuff, or as Paul would say, get out there and make shit. You know, it's really interesting. We've so
0: many of the makers that we've talked to are all actively still making. I don't think we've searched mm-hmm. out anybody who's like quote unquote like retired from making. Cause I don't think any of the people like that, that gravitate towards what we're doing, stop doing it. It's this disease that has
2: no cure. Right. Well, you know, I, I jokingly said, you know, my, I, I, you know, I run a shop with three people that work for me and, um and I've always worked with people to make things. And I'll, I want to talk about that. I want to make sure we cover that a little bit, but, um, when he said, I, I showed him the shirt today and he goes, why do you make? And I said, because the world's a better place when I make shit. And I really believe that that's not like my stuff's better. It might just mean that it keeps me from killing people. Yeah. I mean, it can have a lot of different meanings, <laughs> but it, it, I do believe I have something to say visually that mm-hmm. others do not. Yeah. And that I have a, I have a, something inside me that hasn't been seen. And if I don't make it, it doesn't get seen. And I don't think AI is going to get ahead of me. No, no, well,
0: I, I don't. don't. And it's, it's always like, I, it, I've always said that mm-hmm. I, the stuff that I make, I, or I want to make things that I've never seen before. And that's just kind of how I approach everything. It's, you know, seen so many people make derivative things. I'm like, that that's cool. You can do that. And I know a lot of people, feel that that's an easy way to express themselves, make this table, that table, pour epoxy resin, you know, make this Nakashima off or whatever. That may be a step to something else. That may be all that they want to do. I realized within myself, like you are, the same way, it's like, I want to make the shit that's coming out of me, that's coming out of my heart that I've never seen.
2: So it's, you know, a lot of people approach it differently. And, you know, you've... Well, and I think... Well, I think, you know, you said something. um, It's impossible to not amalgamate things into your work. Mm -hmm. It's the same with musicians and so forth. It's a collective consciousness, you know? It is. We, We take on information, visual information, and we do mash it up. And there's no way you can't say, you know, and then of course, we're affected by, you know, I've spent I don't know, you know, a hundred hours with Gary Knox Bennett in my life. Mm-hmm. And I have sat in his studio and watched him make, and I have gone upstairs when he was getting ready for a lamp show for, it, at uh, what was the great gallery in New York? Uh, something Pierce gallery, um, Joseph, something Joseph gallery, oh, Peter, so Joseph. Peter Joseph's gallery. Right. Where. So yeah. So the Peter Joseph gallery, he was getting ready for a hundred lamp show there. And it was like when I first met him and I went upstairs and there is literally a hundred table and table lamps upstairs and that he's made in like six months. Yeah. And Amazing. just to see the speed and the veracity and the, and the confidence to make where you trust your decisions emphatically and don't waver and also know that if you don't love it all, you'll work it out in the next one too. You'll because they would be riffing off each other and you could almost, if, if someone could have said it started here and went here, you'd be like, Oh yeah, I see the progression. See that but arc. <laughs> a, yeah. It was so fun. And then, you know, to be, to work with Gail and see how she, how I've, I've been using metal a lot in my work. I'd always use metal and wood in my work, but to
1: see. And I'll, 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 I'll mention that's Gail Friedel so for, for the uh, people that do not know who Gail is.
2: <laughs> you should you should Her work is genius yeah is her really work great I, I believe her to be one of america's best furniture makers i
0: truly i i
2: emphatically agree with that brad <laughs> i mean brn sorry um, brn and if you don't and if you don't know her work partially it's because that's how hard it is to get your work seen sometimes and the world forgets shame on shame on the world you know you can go back you but you can go back in and find woodworking and, uh, and woodwork magazine stuff, and you can always find gale pieces. And, oh, yeah. But the, her her way to integrate metal and wood, I think, is really special, and I think it impacted me. I think Brent Skidmore's silliness impacted me. But I also, you know, her the, like I always think Charles and Reims, for their understanding of materials, their breadth of work, but their videos and their videography, you know, like I love – that it, that they, there was no fear of what medium they went into. And that, you know, so I, I do love studio furniture makers, but I'm also very much a product designer. Right. And, um, and, you know, and I think it's fascinating
1: that we're, we're going down this road. That's really talking about why we make and have it be more than just an interview process. Uh, it's really hard just through the, through the, the medium of a conversation really to get at the heart of the matter.
2: Huh, interesting. I,
1: I think there are, there are a lot of reasons why people make, but I think for the vast majority of us, some of the main motivations are you have an idea in your head that has to get out. Mm-hmm. And it's not because... I don't think anybody gets in this profession looking for notoriety. I mean, some people have... Gotten a lot of notoriety, but I think it's a byproduct of the the process of being excited about making shit. Um, and then there are some people that just make stuff for the notoriety and their work reflects it. And we won't go down that road because I think making other, making, making derivative work isn't necessarily a bad thing for somebody's own self-worth or mm-hmm. somebody's own sense of the, the magic of making. It's just not where we come from as makers. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I have no, yeah. I have no problem with somebody making the umpteenth, millionth
2: derivative Sam aloof chair uh-huh. or... or just, yeah. Yeah. just don't market it. Don't market the damn thing.
1: Right. I know? mean, you know, I remember in my younger years... Um, going up to people at shows that were making uh, George Nakashima knockoffs and basically going, you know, you can't do that. And their answer would always be why. And I was going, mm-hmm. because it's disrespectful. And then they'd go, why? And then I'd get really frustrated and upset and get, just walk away. And I
2: was like, "Well, you know, I... I, yeah. It's like being in an art critique and saying to someone, you know, it, it, is, it has this and this in it. And them am saying, I don't know their work. And you'd say, well... It's still your fault. You have to know their work. It's your job to inform yourself, <laughs> right? And it's your t- to be able to defend your work. And if you're knocking someone off and you don't know it, it's just as bad as knocking off somebody when you do know it. Um, right?
1: I mean, when you when when you knock off the connoid chair and don't know it, it's either ten thousand monkeys typing Shakespeare, yeah, or <laughs> you've seen it and you didn't know what it was. Right.
2: But um, you know, it's, it drove, it 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 frustrated Sam. You know, I mean, we talked about that a lot and. There would, there would be people, you know, Rob, did you assist Sam in one of the weekend workshops? Um, so mm -mm, no, was he, he he had passed by then. Did he pass by then? Okay. Yeah. I'd never met Sam. Okay. So, and for those that
1: don't know the three people that don't know, we're talking about Sam Maloof. Right. And I actually was there when he was getting ready to teach one of the workshops and, and they were, there was always a huge crowd of people that really wanted to learn the Sam Maloof technique. Yeah.
2: And, and, most, and 95% of those people wanted to go back to their own shop and, and make and, one for themselves because they couldn't afford a $15,000 Cote rocket or whatever. Right. But there were always a few people in the crowd that actually had a company based on Sam. And I was there one time when he called one of the guys out, you know, and you're just like, it's such a funny thing because it's, it's a hero worship, but it's also – they were there a little bit to do the – the reconnaissance work. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, there was a, a family out of Texas that marketed them, themselves and called themselves the Maloof Rocker. And, you know, he sued them and they dropped the name, but still. And the thing about Sam is you can't knock that thing off because no one had a sense of line like him. You know, he, his background in calligraphy is what transferred into his furniture design. And you couldn't knock that off. Well, it, that is...
1: And there's extremely dangerous technique on the bandsaw. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure too- plenty of people lost thumbs over trying to make the Maloof back splats. And yeah, you, can't, <laughs> you can't
2: mimic someone's eye, you mm. know, and just their vision, no. their absolute vision of no. what they're doing. 100%. No. So there's something I want to touch on today. I want to make sure it gets covered in is that I, you know, I work with a lot of people when I make my things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for many different reasons, um, but it started with my relationship with uh, with Garner Britt. And Garner Britt and I met at Arizona State, and he was a year younger than me. And he had gone to University of Washington up in Seattle, and then he had worked for a couple years at a um, at a high end metal fab place. And when he got to Arizona State, his metal fab stuff was you know so far beyond what a normal college students' abilities were, and I was a better woodworker, and I was teaching him woodworking, and he was teaching me metal fabrication. Really irritating how quickly he became a better woodworker than I was. (laughs) I never became a better metal fabricator than he was. But we collaborated, and a lot of times I was the designer and he was the engineer, and I, the, the chairs behind me, the rocking chair, and the other chair called the Execuglide. The Execuglide was actually a commission from my sister out in Alameda. And we did a table and eight chairs and I designed it. And Darnard and I came up with the fixtures and did all the bending and everything. And they were the most graceful elliptical curves. When we tried to have people make them later, they never could duplicate them well. It was fascinating. And um and we delivered that that I think it was right at the end of my Uh, three years at Arizona state, we delivered them out to my sister and Gary Bennett only lived about 15 minutes from my sister. And he wanted to see the chairs. He he knew I'd been working on for a while. So he came out in the backyard and this is, I can date this day because lady died, died Saturday night. This is Sunday morning, the day of her death. And we're out back and we're hung over because I don't know why, but we decided to watch the news and drink about Lady Die, not that we were diehard Brit fans, but we were very uh, hungover the next morning. Gary came over about nine o'clock, came over and saw the chairs, and he goes, "Jesus Christ, these are good fucking chairs! I'll take a set." <laughs> oh. and he ordered, a, and he ordered a table and eight chairs. Oh my goodness! And so literally, that that was like one of our first commissions, and to this day, you can be some famous collector, and they'll. I'll be like, and then what do you do? And blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, yeah. Oh, I said, uh, and I somehow Gary's name will pop up and I'll say, oh, yeah, the, the yellow chairs in the backyard. And they're like, yeah, we had dinner on them last night. I was like, yeah, I, those are mine. Oh, wow. We've sat on those a lot. Those are great. It's like how cool that was. But he, uh, that's a good so, nod. So so yeah, it was very, very cool. And when we delivered it to him, it was, it was, he's lovely. You know, Gary, Gary was always, he was a friend tour. He didn't want to be called a mentor. So he was a friend tour.
0: Friend tour. Um,
2: That's good. But, uh, and then, so, and then the, the rocking chair was the second line of outdoor furniture we were trying to create. And we just, once we started the first line, we realized we didn't have the capacity, the capital or any of it. So we just had to shelf this other chair idea, which I, which was a little more traditional looking and had a little more folksiness to it. And um, many years went by. And, and um, at that point, to go back real quick, Brad Miller is a, a ceramicist, taught at Anderson Ranch a million times, wonderful ceramicist. Um, his website is Brad Miller Rocks. Check out what he does. He's, <laughs> he's a genius.
0: Brad Miller
2: Rocks? Okay. Because he makes rocks, is one of the things he oh. makes. But they're, not, but they're not like other people's rocks. But he brought his rocking chair up that had some damage on it, and I laid it on its side, and I traced the geometry on a piece of cardboard. So if you're going to knock him off, you know, get all the information you can. At least do it honestly. So yeah. so, so years go by, and, and Sam, no, Sam, I, I told Sam what I was doing. He goes, oh, yeah, have at it. And um, so years go by, and I've got this, this chair that I think is like, it just needs to be a rocking chair. And Garner was teaching at App State University, and I lived out in, you know, in Carbondale, Colorado, where I basically live now. And he flew out, and we mocked up a new version of this chair into a rocking chair. And he went back to North Carolina, and he created the first version. And we unveiled it at Architectural Digest Home Show that spring. And we've probably sold 50 of those now. And it was my idea. It was my first version that him and I worked on. And he took that first version and then made a new chair from it. And we did the double curve of the rocker that is the Sam Malouf signature of his rocking chair. That's the only thing that other than the carved tractor seat, which is what he carves too. But they're very visually different. Um, and I worked with him forever. And so for years, I'd always be the designer and he'd always be the engineer. And I said, I know you. I saw your thesis show. Your work's so good. Like what's going on inside that head? I I want you to bring one of your ideas next time. So the knuckles are his. They're not mine. Oh, wow. He invented that. And he brought it to that year's Architectural Digest. And he brings a little mock-up of it. And I was like, this is genius. It's, It's not eliminating the love of wood, but it's eliminating the joint between mortise and tenon. And the weakness that happens when you take something delicate and then mill out all those parts and bring them together, they're not very strong. And then by instead making this metal joint, everything sleeves into, slimly strong, still honors wood, but then also creates this other design element that can be patinaed or plated or powder coated. All these, you know, all these directions can go. The, the table itself can have legs that lean it out, or they can have legs that are straight. You can tur- turn the legs. So you can make them traditional, or you can make them contemporary, depending on the scale. They were genius. So we're supposed to go back to New York in May for ICFF, and he dies. Yeah, 39, you, 39 years old, 2012. Oh my oh my and so gosh. at the time, we were, the rocking chairs were starting to take off. We had something in the Architectural Digest and or uh l decor and some other you know some other write-ups A dwell one and we were having some momentum with those but i didn't ha- i didn't make those he made those i, I can't make those I- i'm not that good a metal fabricator and um so i'm now like out there searching for a maker and i meet somebody in providence very good skills never ended up being reliable but i'm trying to keep that part of our business going and deal with my grieving and um So, like five years go by, four and a half years of that knuckle sitting in my studio. And I, you know, we all get our press and magazines, and you might get a national one or, you know, a local one or whatever. And I've had nice write ups and things, bigger magazines. (laughs) Soper's Sun, based in Carbondale, Colorado, one of the smallest newspapers that I've ever had an article in, wrote about my, you know, the local maker. And a guy is in a restaurant looking at it. And he calls me and says, I need tables for my new restaurant. And I said, cool. And I walked outside of my studio. And my studio then had was like 10 businesses in a row. And you know how you can look at someone's body language? And I'm on the phone. I look down. And I said, are you at Silo Restaurant <laughs> out front? And he goes, uh, yeah, I am. I said, well, turn right and wave. And he goes, what? And I said, well, just turn to the right and wave. And he does. And I wave back. And he goes, Okay, I'll be down when I'm done with lunch. And I said, perfect. So he comes down and he says, I'm opening up this new you know, boutique burger joint and I need tables. And I said, great. When do you need them by? I need them in three weeks. How long have you known you're going to have a restaurant? Oh, about a year. How long have you known you're going to have people sit down? Oh, probably the whole time. I was like, huh. you probably thought about those tables a little sooner. But in the (laughs) meantime, I had this idea and I pulled out the knuckle and I said, this is this metal joint and he already had a he had, he had a color scheme he had done patinas uh, steel patinas that were gun blued and then he had rift oak throughout it and I and I showed him and he goes I love this idea and so we did a we did you know the whole dining area in these in these knuckles tables and that was the first time we had ever put them in d- to view after sitting on this idea and so he had created the one idea and then since then I've taken and created like 12 more joints and it's again it's a I know him It was easy to do that. B once you see somebody explain an idea, you can take all the steps behind it. Like once I saw the one joint, I was like, oh, there's like 50 other joints for bookshelves and for chair backs and for benches and 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 then because we were getting those in the hospitality, then it was like, oh, I need a trestle base again. The wood would sleeve into the metal, and then you know, and I just riffed off the whole idea after that, but. Without him, that idea doesn't happen. And God, he was a good maker, man. He was such a good maker. And he was such a joyful maker. And if he wanted to make a telescope, he ground the lens. And if he wanted to make a plane, he made the Damascus steel. He was fucking hilarious, man. Because he would – and then everything he ever made was about 80% done. And then once he could see it finished, he was good. Like – To this day, there's this beautiful table. So his wife is very close with us, and she's a geologist for USGS out in Pasadena now. And she's got this table, and it's this beautiful, like, it almost looks like like of a clover. So a curve into another curve, and then it flattens into the back wall with two legs. And so it's cleated on the back of the piece, and then two legs. And when you open up the drawer, there's no bottom. The drawer is in the shape of it, this clover shape, but there's no bottom in the drawer. And this is totally him. Cause he didn't finish it. Cause he didn't need to finish it. He knew, he knew what, he, he, he knew what it looked like. Everything else about it was done. It was gorgeous. All this inlay. I mean, it was, yeah, his thesis show was about, um, all the failed astronomy experiments of all the scientists. And so he made these like 10 pieces that were all wrong beautifully crafted like a table where you'd crank it and then all the planets would go around the earth and just so, so smart, such fun work. And so when he wasn't making stuff, I was like, how are you not making things anymore? But to this day, I have three guys that work for me. We make the rocking chair now and it took us a while to get it back in the house. And you know, I do, I do a lot of the woodworking. I oversee it, but I have two guys that, and one guy works for me and the other guy comes in and does uh work when we want to make like this like we want to me- make a run of double rockers he comes in and it's so fun because they try to figure out what was in garner's head and they're so blown away by how good it is and how hard it is and they can't they've been still to this day trying to figure out how to make the rocker blades the same as he made them and i wasn't there i can i can tell him how to make the ExecuGlide glide chair because we made that together but I didn't get to make the rocker with him because he was in North Carolina and I was in Colorado and I don't know. And, and, and we're trying to extract and it brings a lot of joy and it, it brings a lot of, um, appreciation that they try to, they always, you know, they, they, I describe him to him and they're always trying to get in his head and, and figure out little, little nuances, but they really, they're like, we love making his, this piece for you. And I have it's fun, it's fun to make with people. It's it really is. I have well, a
0: musician buddy who um who actually he died last July 4th of uh, of an asthma attack and uh, I mean literally like a year ago and he um in San Antonio, Texas, he's just a crazy heavy metal musician. He's just in love with every second he picked up the guitar and I listen to his music and I'm like, what the, what the fuck were you doing? It sounds so amazing, but what were you doing with your hands? You know, it's yeah. almost like that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you're a genius. How did yeah. you do it? Where did it come from? And it did. It came from that organism. That is your friend. That is that human on this earth. Yeah. It's like, it's like, how, how, why you did it? I see it. I hear it,
2: but you're, yeah. It's- it, you know, it's so, like that's why I go like places like Anderson Ranch and Pinland and Haystack and Appalachian Center for Craft and any of these places, OCAC, any of these places, it's it it's so infectious to go there, and it's so fun, and you you get fed, you know, there it, it, it's it's amazing to at Penland to you know watch the glass blowing at midnight when woodworkers should not be on power tools anymore but those guys that's <laughs> right <laughs> that's their segment of time and it's so fun and it it just feeds you and it's like having you know i i give my guys a lot of um i give them a lot of, of i let them have their opinions and, and we can argue and we can decide on something but I, I i'm not i i like to make with people and so i don't try to heavy hand it into it's my way only i'm like well, let's okay well, let's investigate that and sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, it's a much better idea. And sometimes I'm like, no, because it forgets this. But it's really and we all enjoy that. And then we're like, and back at it. But I have I built a shop to share it with people. And I really like sharing it. And then you know, I get a lot of the Anderson Ranch people, like Leah Ginter is gonna come down and and do some work for us this fall. She's got a couple solo shows, she's an amazing maker who's making organic things on a cnc it's so funny because she's making these things that look like mud and she's using paper afterwards and then you're her process is such a a, a cnc process and then i love that i love that i find a lot of humor in that
1: let's talk about collaborations a little bit because it sounds like the collaborative process is an important part of your work and i'm interested in in the process of collaboration because this is a collaboration between Rob and I. But, and also your wife is a part of uh, Board by Design as well, correct? Thank you. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate that. And you want to mention her name? Ann Brumby. Ann Brumby. So, so Board by Design is a collaboration. How does collaboration work for you? Is it, is collaboration a process where everything's on the table, where people pick their lanes
2: or... Is it just a sort of a more organic process? Um, so, you know, Board by Design was me, founded by me. Uh, my wife and I met at Arizona State. She's a jewelry designer. She was a hairstylist. She's really, really amazing jewelry that was water jet, acrylic, and stainless. We've Got some of
0: it here, actually. I got some from you. I- That's what I thought. I thought you did, Rob. In 2011, a yeah, necklace and some uh, earrings.
2: And so I don't forget, Rob and I did a collaboration in like 12, 11 or 12 where I make this. We did. I make a product called an eyewear rack, and it's just a board with a bungee. And eventually I had them selling at Crate and Barrel, Williams Sonoma, Urban Outfitters, Pendleton, all these companies. Never made them damn. Any money from it but it was good for my ego but rob and i <laughs> uh rob was doing these beautiful drawings on his turned vessels and um uh, chrysanthemums and other things and so he did these drawings on these boards of mine they were really cool i kept one of each so i do have an example of both oh you do have a couple i have of them. That's cool. ge- yeah. i have one gear and one chrysanthemum um, but they were really nice. cool, but it was kind of fun is it, was, it wasn't as much, it was me providing a vehicle for him to do his thing. Cause my, what I, I always joked, this line of things I made were rectangles that when you put them on the wall, did nothing until you set your keys on them or your eyewear on them. And then you're like, Oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Pretty quiet, pretty boring, pretty practical. But, uh, Rob's versions made them a lot more, um, engaging. That's for sure. Um, pretty
1: Cronovia, pretty Cronovia.
2: Yes. <laughs> pretty
1: not, so, not holy and,
2: um, yeah.
0: and, and and that was fun because you you would send me the you know the boards to do it or i'd get them i think you sent them to me like drilled and cut yeah. and then i just burn the designs on them and send them back yeah
2: it was very cool and that was you know pre pre everyone having a laser engraver right so it was all handmade yeah, so each one was yeah. individual which i really i love that um so so, so my wife. So I start board by design, and that's my sense of humor. Is you know the term board by design? It,
0: it's a great name. <laughs> Thank, what thanks. what was on the? What did you have on those those first batch of T-shirts or so? The
2: first ones were uh, tight maker, loose cannon. That's it. That's yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Garner and I, because yeah. we definitely by the time you know we were definitely tight makers. You were the you were the loose cannon. We were yeah probably actually um that's probably true. And now our motto is "handmade with real hands," and um, and that's that comes from uh, I believe uh, Chipotle "handmade with real avocados." Um, but uh, but thank you Chipotle. Yeah, thank you Chipotle. Um, but so I started it out. But when I work with people, I don't I like democracy. And so I'm usually bringing the idea, but I'm happy to have people weigh in and see it through their eyes because everyone has things, you know, and I'm a, I, I do funny drawings and I'll go look back at my drawings and see a completely different object a month later or a year later. So I showed my guys drawings and they'll be like confused by the intersection. And then they'll explain what they think they see. And I'm like, Oh, that's better. Let's do that. Um, so I, I, I'm probably the designer still. There's, you know, but I let my people be a, a lot of the engineer. Now my wife and I's relationship is different. Two things happen. One, I don't listen to her at all. And then she generally says, Oh, you're right. That was a good idea. <laughs> it, that, that's happened a lot in our history. And, and we, and she would admit that too. She's like, Oh, I don't like that at all. And I'm like, well, that's how I'm doing it. And then she's like, Oh, huh. I came out good. I like that. Or with, or with color. She plays a huge part in it. If when we're when we're making decisions on color, because I love, and then she's right. <laughs> she, we just both trust each other's opinion on color, and we yeah. try to bring something. You know, I love color. I love, um, you know, I love wood for the color it is, but I also love pot- steel because you can powder coat it any color. And I love color, but I, I I used to paint, and I don't, and I used to mix color a lot. And once you don't mix it, you're not very really good at it. So powder coating is great because those colors are really accurate and really beautiful. And you just point to them and then your shit comes back and it's that (laughs) color. And you're like, perfect. How great is that? Damn. That was easy. Yeah. That was easy. And, you know, and I have a good relationship with a powder coater. I like a lot, but it's all collaboration. You know, it's all, it's all about listening and communication and relationships and, um, and just having, um, and, and, and just letting yourself be vulnerable.
1: Well, that's an interesting perspective uh, because a lot of us spend time in our studios and our main collaborator is ourselves. And we're never gentle with ourselves. We're never kind with ourselves. We're usually hypercritical. And there is something really wonderful about collaborating and, you know, getting in touch with somebody other than yourself or your inner asshole, which is who I'm I have a close personal friendship. Um, <laughs> I, I love the guy. I hate the guy. Um, I
2: believe you.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to say, it sounds like you have a good balance. Like you do stuff.
2: I'm sure you do stuff in your shop by yourself too, but then it's okay. open. I work on the weekends by myself. I work on the week. I go on this. I, you know, it's funny because people are always like, you don't have a life or you work too much. And I'm like, we have a business based on. Our ability is metal fabrication and woodworking. Sometimes it's, they come to us for our design sense. Sometimes they don't. And it's a big job. Sometimes it's a collaboration. You know, we did the, we did a collaboration with an architecture firm where we got a lot of say in the design for the Aspen Art Museum. Super fun project. Big project. Took a long time. Those are a blast. And those ones get you good notoriety. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes, you know, the job comes in and you're like, we need to take that job because I have three employees and I need to make sure that they are paid and fed. And I can dink around with my ideas when my guys are keeping the shop. You know, a lot of the things I want to make, I don't ever care if I sell it or, you know, yes, I'd like to find a guy. I want to, I need to find a new gallery. But in the meantime, I should not, you know, other than storage, I shouldn't worry about making things. I just want to make them and, and. And I, then that's, that's the thing that feeds my soul. So it's nice to have people working for me that make sure they feed the bank account when I'm feeding the soul. This um, is what happens a lot of times, too.
1: So following up on that, as we, as we start to wrap this up, what are the things you are making right now that feed your soul? And what is next on
2: the to-do list for Board by Design? So for, on the soul part is... That I was saying that I, you know, we built this dream studio and it kind of ate our life up. Plus, we built a 4,200 square foot building in six months for for $100 a square foot in Aspen, Colorado. <laughs> for wow. two years, it looked like my wife and I had been running a marathon. Literally, hands on our knees going, <laughs> like you'd see us year and a half later still just... Broken and we because we had to put so much burn sweat equity into it and it worked it, it provided with what we wanted and because of all the things that I tell people and when you're trying to make stuff that one of the most wonderful things to have is space so that as you're working on one idea and you're not sure where to go forward you can turn to another table and continue on something else but not have yeah, to tear it down yeah. or put it away or anything because you might come in the next morning and go oh God, yeah. It. Cause it's sitting yeah. there looking at you and space, you know, yeah, it's great to have tools and great to have a great dust collection system, all that stuff. But man, it's sure nice to have space and we have space now. Um, so I am working on, I had a single a solo show right before we started building the building and I had kind of launched a couple new ideas that then I didn't get to go into, but I'm fascinated by palettes and I really like, pallets when they come in and all the different kinds of pallets in the world. So I made line drawings of pallets. And of course, my first instinct is to turn them into furniture because I always think of everything as furniture. And I'm like, how can I get less money? I know I'll make it into furniture. And in- <laughs> right, <laughs> what if this was not functional? No, let's make it functional and charge less. Okay, good idea. So I made these pieces that were basically these kind of like Homage to these big chunks of wood, where they look like they're sitting on these pallets, and so I've got a couple of those in the work. I, I one has been just been posted on Instagram. One I shared with you guys that I haven't posted yet, and then it's been feeding all the other ideas because as I was making the pallets, I was liking them without objects on them. I was really liking looking at the line drawing of the pallet, and I'd hang them on the wall and stuff. So then I started playing with clear, clear colored acrylics, you know, like the uh, plexiglass. And so now I've gone back to like back in the, when I was in college, you know, you'd use a vacuum former or a heat gun, you'd bend plaques. So I'm making these boxes and I'm kind of, I'm in a point where I have to start taking some chances. I've got like, I've got to what I knew I wanted and now I need to figure out how to make them cool and engaging. And, um, and, and the idea is to play with color and depth and line drawing and they're going to be non-functional wall paintings of crates with boxes on them so i'm working on that i'm really excited about those and then i on the product design side because that's like the art side of me and then the product design I, i always play with these pots so i have these new lamp versions of these pots i've been making for years and the pots we sell like five a year or six a year and they're fun for me to make and they're all utilizing Culinary pots from, um, you know, like from huge industrial kitchens, or just professional kitchens. So that's on the on that side, and then I'm trying to play with this plexiglass idea where I bend this piece, and I, I keep failing. I'm trying to make this piece look like a piece of crumpled up paper, and I'm and completely oh, non-full. Cool. And I, I I haven't gotten it there yet, but I'm having a lot of fun failing. And that's, and this, so, too, this feels good to me because I, I haven't made bodies of work. You know, I'm doing the quotation signs because you come out of art school and yeah. you, you try to make a series that relates to each other. And I always, I have all kinds of styles that, that I feel are innately mine that, but they go in different places. But I'm trying to make five or six of these few styles so I can figure out what the hell they are. And yeah. what, you know what I mean? And then on the front for us as a business, is that we have a great gig with an ice cream parlor chain out of Colorado called Sunday. And we were getting ready to do two of their restaurants this fall. And so we do all the tables oh, and cool. uh, displays and their signage and their cone racks and their ice cream is great. It's an artisan ice cream. They make it every week. If you it's your birthday and it's coming up or something, you can literally call them, ask them if they'll make one of their 50 flavors. They'll make it, and then you can have a cake made out of your, your flavored choices. They're awesome. But they're based <laughs> wow. out of Vail, and they, never, they didn't bling out their Vail in their Edwards location. So we're supposed to do those next. So that'll be is fun. That all, right? Is
0: that all with Knuckles stuff?
2: It's Knuckles uh, and the trestle bases for their tables, which is a, a base we made. And we did like a restaurant in Heelsburg, California, a couple years ago using those.
0: You were talking about taking chances. Um, it's also known as making mistakes.
2: Let's say the one last thing, happy accidents. Happy accidents, yes. That, yeah, I love that. That. That, is, that is, I don't know how many things have ever happened where if you can just step away and breathe through it, and when you walk back in and look at it again, maybe that happy accident made it better. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, wrapping it up. Thanks, Brad. Thank you guys both. I so enjoyed hanging out with you. Yeah. Why make? Why make? I feel you. We got to make? Why make? <laughs> Why make? Why, me, why, why make? Why make? Why uh. make?
1: You can listen to Why Make on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also grab our RSS feed or direct download from our website, why make.com. Please help support the Why Make podcast
0: and Why Make Productions by making a tax deductible donation to us on Fractured Atlas. Visit fundraising.fracturedatlas.org forward slash the-y-make-project or go to the Donate to YMake page on y-make.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at at YMakePod. This episode is recorded on Squadcast and edited by us on Audacity. Thanks for listening.